We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Uh, so we're in 1 Samuel chapter 12, and uh, just a little bit of an intro here. Um, every time we go to the scriptures, this is a reminder that um, we as followers of Jesus, we as, as followers of Jesus that want to also make disciples, we're bound by the Great Commission, which says, therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to, can anyone finish? That's right. Observe all things. Some translations say teaching them to obey. And so the goal of our time here would not be information transformation um, for you to go out and say, wow, that was great content. But for you, as you are listening, as you are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for you to seek to obey the scriptures. And so as you are hearing God's word taught, preached, explained, um, in the margin, jot down some things that you feel like God is, is moving and speaking and working in your life. And then after the sermon, we're going to end our time together a little different. I'll just step down here and I will just ask our church, so what did you hear? What did the Lord teach you through the text that you might obey him this week? Um, and so as, as you're listening, think through and then, and then consider sharing. It doesn't have to be like five, ten minutes. Actually, I, I discourage that. And so maybe even a, a word or two or a phrase to say, I was encouraged to depend on the Lord and remember his faithfulness. Or I was encouraged that, that, that. You get the idea. Okay? That's where we're headed. First Samuel 12. So uh, in January of 2022 my wife and I decided that we were going to redo our bathroom. As you know, we have four girls, and one extra shower was a good idea. We generally encourage hygiene and, and showers. And so we had the room and the space to do it. We, uh, January, we blew out a wall, and that began the construction time of our bathroom. Uh, took away the tile on the floor, took away the ceiling, and essentially the first challenge that we had was how are we going to get um, a shower drain um, to go to the main water line, okay? And so uh, I called a buddy because I don't know anything about construction. I know how to destruct, but construct, that's a challenge for me. So I called a buddy and I said, hey, would you just kind of like FaceTime and kind of guide me through this thing? Oh, sure, Absolutely. Uh, go go get a jackhammer and drill about, you know, here, 18 inches or so. And, oh, oh, great, great, great. So I went down to Cincinnati Tools here on 22 and 3, ridden myself a big old jackhammer. Had the option of like, do you want this cute little one with bow on it? Or for the same price, do you want this like five-foot jackhammer? And I said, yes, please, I will take the large masculine jackhammer. And so I brought it on down to the basement uh, put on my mask and like uh, glasses and went 
after it. And if you guys are familiar with a jackhammer, those things can get pretty heavy pretty quick. And so there I was jackhammering for like 30 minutes, 40 minutes. And like, I know that like, like I try to like lift weights with my shoulders, but like jackhammering is all shoulder lift right there. And so after about 30 minutes, I'm finding that like to lift this 60, 80 pound jackhammer is becoming a little bit difficult. And so I kind of decided in my mind, I think it would be probably okay if I just let it go a little bit deeper each time. I'll just let the weight of it carry a little bit lower, a little bit lower, a little bit lower. And so I'm going and things are going awesome, right? I'm seeing all this dust and all this concrete go up. And then as I'm looking at the rubble, I see these like white pieces of PVC pipe, right? And I'm like, and I click off and I set down the jackhammer and I see this gorgeous like three and a half or so inch pipe come on one end. I see this absolutely like wonderful pipe come in on the other end. But in the middle, I see it, no pipe. And so I call my friend and I said, friend, I'm FaceTiming him. Hey, I was wondering if, if this is important. And he goes, on FaceTime, he goes, Newman, you had one job. <laughs> Don't jackhammer the main sewage line. <laughs> so I immediately, uh, you know, ran upstairs, made the announcement, ladies, do not use the restroom. It will go places we do not want it to go. I don't know what your impression is of the pastorate, but our sewage pipe stinks just as much as yours does. <laughs> and so uh, we had an emergency. We fixed it up. We're fine now. But this Sunday, in this text, we're going to see that Israel had one job. It had one job. One job, Newman. Israel had one job, and they jackhammered the sewage pipe, and it was a mess. But God was gracious. He cleaned up the mess, and not only cleaned up the mess, but he repaired something, and he gave them something called a new covenant that was a game changer for the rest of time. So the title of today's sermon, if you're taking notes, is One Job. One Job. I'm going to try to say it like that, because that's how it was given to me. Newman? <laughs> and the sermon in a sentence is this, that God's people are called to follow him as king with all their hearts. I'll, I'll say it again. God's people are called to follow him as king with all their hearts. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole chapter 12 so we can be nice and familiar with this passage of Scripture. This is God's word, 1 Samuel chapter 12. And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice in all that you have said to me and have made a king over you. And now behold, the king walks before you and I am old and gray. And behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Verse 3, here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose, whose ox have I taken? 
Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. They said, you have not defrauded us, or oppressed us, or taken anything from man's hand. And he said to them, the Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, he is witness. There's Samuel's character. Now it's going to start talking about the covenant. And Samuel said to the people, the Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought you, your fathers, up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and your fathers. When Jacob went to Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. Verse 9. But then they forgot the Lord their God. And they sold them into the hands of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies, that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jeroboam and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side. And you lived in safety. Verse 12. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. And now, behold the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set the king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if you both and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if... You will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord. Then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Here's 16. Now, therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not a wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great which you have done in the sight of the Lord, in asking yourselves for a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And now here's Samuel's charge to the people of God. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servant to the Lord your God that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet you do not turn aside from following the Lord. Do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, 
for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you, but if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. This is the word of the Lord. Let's look at it together. Here's point one, Samuel's one job. Samuel's one job, which was to follow the Lord. Okay. Last week, we learned the Hebrew word yasa. It meant to deliver or redeem. And God delivered the people of God from the Ammonites. Does anyone remember how he did it? Wasn't by a king, wasn't by a cool gimmicks. It was by the who's got it. Starts with an H, rhymes with Shmoli. The Holy. You guys nailed it. Well done. Well done. We just got to work on the timing a little bit quicker, you know? The Holy Spirit. Right. So not by a king, not by strategy or by smarts or anything, that the Holy Spirit rushed upon Saul. So question for review would be, did you guys see the Holy Spirit work in your life this week? Can you identify one time, one circumstance where you saw the Spirit redeem a situation, redeem a circumstance, redeem your mind, your heart, in order to look or act differently? In verse 1 of chapter 12, it seems like there's no indication of the text breaking. So there's no location change. There's no time indicators that says like, well, three months later, dot, dot, dot. So we can just safely assume that Samuel, after this great Yasa victory, he stands before the people of God that are gathered and gives this amazing speech, right? It would be a great time to renew uh, the covenant that they had before the Lord since they're all there. Remember, no social media, no TV. Everybody's here. Let's do this. The time is right. And so the first thing that he addresses is his character. Isn't that interesting? First five verses talks about why character counts in the man that's given the message. Why? Why does character count? seems to validate the message. Doesn't it go better when the messenger has character? Samuel wants to share with them the message about following the Lord. And so he spends time as the whole army is assembled to give validation to his life and ministry. Uh, look at verse 3 with me. Uh, this begins, especially this validation time, he chooses five rhetorical questions. But look at verse 3 for a second. He says, here I am. Do you remember where he, he said that before? It was in the temple in chapter 3, really early in his life. It's beautiful just to see now at the end of his life, when he's old and he's gray, he's using the same words. And it's almost like the narrator is saying, you see, this man has spent his whole life saying, 
Here I am, Lord, your servant is listening. It's this pattern of Samuel that he's wanting to prove to his people that I have served the Lord faithfully. I've offered myself unto him with, with pure heart, with pure motivations, and with open hands unto him. Samuel's my hero. I want to be like that when I grow up. When I'm old and even more gray, I want to be able to say, here I am my whole life. I've lived for him. Look at these questions, okay? Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I defrauded? Whom I have oppressed? Or whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me and I will restore it to you, right? Okay, so here's some solid questions to prove that Samuel has not deviated from the Lord. First one, he hasn't stolen anything, right? That's a big deal. And three times in these five questions, it uses the verb to take. It says he hasn't defrauded anyone, meaning I haven't cheated someone out of what is rightfully theirs. Hey, in my life and in my ministry, I haven't oppressed anyone. This would be applying abuse of an official position that Samuel had. He hasn't taken a bribe. That is, when it was at this moment of temptation to turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to evil, he didn't do it. He didn't look the other way. Friends, real quick, if you want to be used by God, hold on to your character Hold it in high regards. I remember 20 years ago or so, uh, listening to a man speak on integrity and character. And he asked us this, and I'll pass it on to you. And I hope that you never forget it. Um, he said it like this. Um, when you're tempted to sacrifice your character, ask this question. Is my integrity worth dot, dot, dot? So if you're at the office and if you're tempted to steal an office pen, you grab that pen and you can say, is my integrity worth the price of this pen? Maybe a dollar, maybe two. Should I steal it? This question will help you re recognize that you're about to sacrifice your integrity for the price of a pen. Or when you're filling out your taxes, lift up your taxes and you go, is my integrity, is my character worth the price of of a few dollars that I could rip off from the government? Or should I pay my taxes according to what God has told me to do? Or is my character worth lying in this particular circumstance so that this person will like me and they'll look upon me with more favor? Should I lie or should I hold my character in high value? See, Samuel kept his character throughout his whole life. And he calls the people of God to give formal witness that he has been above reproach. You see that in there? He calls them, if you're going to follow the Lord, I want you to know that what I'm about to say, I want you to validate the messenger that's giving this message. He practiced what he preached. And he's going to tell Israel one job. Israel, you got one job. You want to know what it is? Hey, Israel, follow the Lord. Follow the Lord. Let's look at it. 
So it would be a perfect time to have this new beginnings. All the people are together. And so Samuel, in essence, says, hey, let's, let's start strong here. Uh, we've got a king. Let's do this together. So if you would just step back and go, what would, how would I present it to these people? In, in essence, how would I give these people, how would I help them see the need and the worth of following God? Why would I call them even to renew their covenant to the Lord? Is it worth it? And so he calls upon the faithfulness of God from the past in order to send them on a trajectory in the present. Look at verse 11 with me. Um, This is just a summary sentence where he basically takes the book of Judges and then gives it right up to himself and says, that's why you need to follow him. Look at how faithful he's been. I'll read it again. Verse 11, And the Lord sent Jerubbabel and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel, which is himself, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. He started even before that. We sang a song, the God of Jacob, the God of Moses. This is what he's doing right now. He's saying, hey, look at Moses. Hey, look at Jacob. Look at all of these judges. Has the Lord not been faithful to you? Has He not met your every need? Has He not provided for us? In essence, he's going, hey, look at God's faithfulness. Isn't that a wonderful incentive to be faithful to Him? Just look at how He's worked in your life. He's been faithful to you in the past. But verse 9 is there. Find it with your eyes. How did Israel overall respond to God's faithfulness? But they forgot the Lord their God. Oh! Don't you just hate that verse? They had one job. Follow Him. Don't forget Him. Follow Him. They didn't do it. They didn't do it. The overall pattern of Israel's life was not like Samuel's. They forgot the Lord. They didn't follow him. Now don't interpret their, th- this verb to forget as um, an adjective like forgetfulness. Uh, oftentimes we're like, whoops, I forgot my keys. I locked them in the car. Like I didn't mean to. No one wants to do that. Their forgetfulness was a choice. And if you're wondering how that happens today, here's a good uh, quote that depicts how someone can go from following the Lord to having a pattern of their life being one of forgetfulness unto Him. Here's a quote. The devil's strategy often doesn't include shipwrecking someone's love for God in a day. He dulls their affections over a decade. usually how he does it. He doesn't attack someone's character and walk with God in one foul swoop. He usually just chips away and dulls their affections, their hot love for God over time. Let that be just an encouragement to us to stay hot for the Lord. So, verse 12 
They rejected God as king of their lives. And then we move on to this, this portion of this speech where Samuel, in essence, says, oh, but look at God's kindness. Look at his grace. Uh, Samuel uses these little transitions in his speech. Uh, he says, and now, and now. So in verse 2, look at that. He goes, and now, he starts off. Verse 7, and now, and then verse 13, he goes, and now. <laughs> okay, this is kind of how he transitions. And so he, he, he introduces this idea that God, catch this, wants to renew his covenant with them. Even though they've left, even though they've forgotten that he is a God of grace and kindness, and he's continually inviting them back. It's beautiful patience of the Lord. You want to know what the covenant was? One job. Hey, Israel, follow me. I want you to follow me. I want you to obey my voice. And if you do, it will go well with you. Disobey me and it won't. My hand will be against you and the king. And then Samuel says, it's about harvest time, right? So I'm going to call upon the Lord and he's going to bring some rain and some thunder. Um, so harvest time uh, was a time of great drought. It was dry. It is tough to preach this text in Ohio because Ohioans don't know drought. They're like, oh, I wonder what that word means. Like we get plenty of rain, right? So a drought is some, something that happens when it doesn't rain. Did you guys know that? I know, I know. And so um, it would be very unique and special during harvest time for rain and thunder to come. Now, who's seen uh, Father of the Bride? I'm currently taking my daughters through Father the Bride, part one and two. Uh, it's been a beautiful experience. Do you remember that scene when George Banks um, is on the driveway with his daughter about to get married? It's in the middle of the night, and both of them can't sleep because their wedding's the next day, right? Um, Annie and, and um, what's the guy's name? Um, he was the independent communications consultant. Right, thank you. <laughs> okay, okay. So, um, so they're on the driveway. This is right before the scene where George Banks is in the grocery store. No, no, no. This scene, this snow scene, it comes right after the grocery store scene, which everyone remembers. It's the hot dog scene. He's there. He's so mad because he's buying eight hot dogs, but the company, some big shot in the bun business, got together with some big shot in the weenie business and said, let's rip off the American public, right? You remember that? Well, this is not that scene. That has nothing to do with this text. Okay. It's the scene when he looks at his daughter and it starts snowing. And Annie goes, Oh, Dad, this is going to cost you more money, isn't it? And, and George Banks goes, No, no. I just know that I'll never forget this moment for the rest of my life. You know, I know, I know. Come on. It's a, it's a really great scene. And the snow was this indication of, wait a second, this never happens. I think I'm going to remember this forever, right? And so weather changing here in Israel, it's like this George Banks moment where they go, okay, I mean, it's, it, it rains in Israel, but it's harvest time. This is the Lord. I'll never forget this ever. And it caused a great fear 
Um, for it's the text says great fear for the Lord and Samuel in verse 18. It was a miracle. So what is the charge? What is the charge then that Samuel will bring to the people? People, you must renew your covenant loyalty to God. What does that mean? Samuel is gracious enough to use all sorts of verbs to describe what it means to love God, to follow him. Look at the various ways. Just like if you got a pen, just kind of underline it with me. Find it in verse 14. It means to follow God. Uh, look at verse 15. He says to obey the voice of the Lord. That's what it means to follow him, to walk with him. Look at verse 20. He, he talks about kind of the negative aspect of following. He says, you've got to turn away from empty things. So in order to follow him, in order to trust him, in order to obey him, you've got to take things out of your life and turn away from empty things. Look at verse 24. It says, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Are you getting that, this picture of what it means to follow God? To fear Him, to serve Him, to walk with Him faithfully, to follow Him. All these verbs, to forsake empty things. That's what it means to have one job, to do one thing, to follow God. So I think you can kind of anticipate where this is going because it would be the same thing for us. We got one job. Israel had one job. And if you know the scriptures, if you've, if you've read the Bible, if you've been uh, around uh, Christians who speak of the scriptures, you know Israel's story and that they didn't follow the Lord time and time again. God pursued them time and time again. God gave them a second and third and fourth, fifth chance. And he keeps inviting them back but they rejected him. I want you to go to the New Testament with me for a second. Flip on over to John, the book of John, chapter 17, and verse 3. I was studying this with some other men this week, and it really impacted my life. Here's John, chapter 17, verse 3. This is, in essence, one job, okay? Let's read the first couple words and then look up with me. And this is eternal life. Look up. Look up. All right. And this is eternal life. How would you finish that sentence? Don't look down. Ah, ah. <laughs> Don't look down. Okay. And this is eternal life. How would you finish it? Here's how I would finish it. Living forever and going to heaven. That's eternal life. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. That's, that's kind of it. I mean, it's true. Is it the essence? Is that the greatest delight of eternal life? Is that, is that our call? Is that the one job? Hey, if you become a Christian, cool. And then you, you, if you die, you go to heaven. Just go on living your life. And, but you've got fire insurance when you die. Is that our greatest joy in the Christian life? Watch. Now you can look down. Okay, here we go. Watch what John says. And this is eternal life. It's pretty cool and it's pretty clear. That they may know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Isn't that beautiful? 
the one thing for the believer, the New Testament believer, to know God. Brothers and sisters, if you look at your week this week, you walk on out of here, you go to lunch, and you start projecting what it, what's going to look like Sunday evening and Monday morning all the way to Friday and Saturday, a good question would be, how can I grow to know Him more? If I've got one thing, and I know it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a bad way to say it. you got one job. It implies, you know, but, but it communicates. you got one mission, one aim, one, one thing. It would be to know Him. So if a good question, how can I know Him more today than I did yesterday? How can I grow in Him, my love, my affections for Him today? How can I obey Him more? That desire to know Him more started at the cross. Well, it started a whole long time ago, actually, long before even time began. But the cross is where his body was broken and his blood was spilled out for you. It's when he took on your sin and he bore the weight of your shame. And at the cross is where the scriptures tells us that he purchased a people for himself. Why? Because he loves you. Christ purchased a people. And that was prophesied a long time ago. Don't go there, but in Jeremiah 31, this is the classic covenant passage. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with you. You know, this whole old covenant where you forget and the mediators like Samuel... I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. I will put, here's, here's the new covenant. This should be like really exciting. If you're a believer, you should be like frothing at the mouth. Like, yes! Come on, Newman, read it for me. This is our only hope in life and death. Here we go. I'll put a new law in them. And I'll write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Check this out. Remember when we were kids and we were asked in like grade school and stuff? Um, if you were to ever to meet a famous person, what would you talk to him about? What would, what would your conversation be like? What would it be about? And you always kind of had like this idea of maybe, I, oh, I would meet like, like uh, you know, Michael Jordan or maybe Abraham Lincoln. And what would you talk to him about? Well, maybe basketball or the war or something like that. But if you ever got to meet Jesus, the most famous person of all, it wouldn't just be like, hey, cool things that you did back then. Or, hey, by the way, thanks for uh, eternal life. And I get to, or, um, hey, how did you do that cool thing when you like walked on water? But guess what? In John 17, he goes on to say that Jesus is going to help you fulfill this covenant, not just by changing your heart of stone into a heart of flesh, but he's going to pray for you. So if you ever met Jesus, 
and many of you have, you can just say, hey, instead of like talking, could you pray for me? Look at John 17 here, verse 8. For I have given them the words that they gave me, and they have received them, and they've come to know in truth, and that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. Isn't that beautiful? Like Samuel, at the end of his life, commits to praying for the people of God, we have a far greater Samuel. We have Jesus Christ praying for us to keep covenant loyalty to our Lord. Hebrews 9 calls him the great mediator of our covenant. And not only this, not only is he like, is he there for us? Is he our mediator? He's praying for us. But he says, I'm going to give you me. I'm going to give you the spirit. I'm going to live in you. If you have doubt, oh Lord, I feel like I'm going to forget you. I'm going to fail. He says, you are. That's why I'm going to give you myself. In Galatians 2.20 says, For I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But what? Christ lives in me. In the life I live, I live by faith. The one who loves me and poured himself out. So friends, be encouraged. Jesus is going to help you do your one job. To follow him to knowing Him, to, to forsaking empty things, to turn away. And so three questions for us all, and then I'll say, and then I'll open it up for us. It would be this. Will you remember His faithfulness? You want to walk with the Lord this week? You want to be, want to be loyal to God, to obey Him, to turn away from empty things? Remember that He's been faithful in your life. Second one, will you forsake empty things? That requires an incredible, um, incredible amount of careful time and Holy Spirit examination in your heart. Lord, what are the empty things that I'm pursuing that I may follow you wholeheartedly? Will you forsake empty things? And last one, will you follow Him? Will you follow him? Thank you for God's word.